Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Hey, good morning, good morning. So good, to, thank you. Thank you, Head of Students. Um, do you know, I, I, I'm going to say straight off the bat, we are not in a series. I know, shock horror. Like, normally we get up here and like, we are in a series. We are not in a series today. And you know, we love a series, right? We love a talk series at Gas Street. And of course, um, it's already been mentioned, but of course, uh, with, with the death of the Queen uh, last week, uh, we needed to just change our plans uh, and respond uh, in a way that uh, gave us an opportunity to honor and remember the Queen. And in fact, if you weren't here last week, then it's definitely worth uh, checking out Tim's talk from last week. It really felt like uh, a, a message for the moment uh, as we remember and honor Queen Elizabeth and her legacy. So if you haven't listened, do go back uh, and do that. And, uh, and as I said, we sort of had to change our plans a bit. And so this week is also a bit of a detour. Um, I hope a good detour. Uh, I, I'm hoping it's, it's a Holy Spirit-inspired detour. We love those. Because uh, today I want to share, I want to share on the theme of repentance. I want to share on the gift of repentance. I want to share some of my personal experience uh, in discovering the gift that is repentance. Now, I have no idea uh, what thoughts pop into your mind, what, what thoughts are triggered when you hear that word, repentance. It might be that you're here and you are exploring faith. Maybe you're not sure what you believe. You, you've sort of found yourself here in church today and you're, you're still kind of working all of this out. Maybe you're here and you have been a follower of Jesus forever. Well, I believe, I believe for each one of us, God is wanting to give us a, a fresh perspective, like a fresh revelation on the gift of repentance. And, and the reason that repentance is a gift, this whole talk could be summed up like this. Uh, repentance is a gift because it has the power to bring transformation and freedom into our lives. Are you up for that? I am up for that. Are you up for that? Yes, there we go. And uh, to do that, I, I want to start by telling you a story about my grandma. I think she's going to pop up on the screen. It's quite an old photo, as you can see. Uh, and this is my, my grandma, and she is my mum's mum, for those of you here that know my mum. Uh, and she was a wonderful grandma. And actually, you know, as I've thought, uh, as probably like lots of you, as I've thought about the Queen, as I've reflected on her life, you know, I've been struck by the simple fact that for, for all the Queen's titles. She was a mum. She, she was a grandmother. She was a, a great grandmother. And I wonder if, I wonder if uh, potentially the most significant, actually the most spiritually enduring part of her legacy might be that she had the opportunity to pass on her faith in Jesus to the next generations. Are there any grandmas here? Any grandmothers here? Yes. 
What, what a gift, what a blessing a grandmother is in a family. We named our daughter Lois uh, in the Bible. She's Timothy's grandmother. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, he says, I, I see your sincere faith, Timothy, but I saw it first in your grandmother Lois, who passed it on to your mom Eunice and then passed it on to you. The power of a grandmother's faith is not to be underestimated. And you see, my grandma, she was everything that you want a grandma to be. She was kind, she was cuddly, she gave me and my brothers and sisters loads of sweets and chocolates against my parents' expressed permission. Uh, you know, and she also, she also loved Jesus very, very much. I don't, I don't remember her ever kind of preaching at us, but I know that she faithfully prayed for all her grandchildren. You know, she lived out her faith in, a, in an open and authentic way, a faith that she then passed on to her two daughters, my mom, and who my mom and dad then passed on to me. Don't underestimate the faith of a grandmother or a grandfather, we'll include you too. You know, my, um, my beloved grandma, uh, she, she was diagnosed with cancer when I was 16. And I was, I was old enough, of course, to be aware of what was going on, like the severity of what was happening. And I remember her health deteriorating quite quickly. And it was devastating for our whole family. We were, we were very close. We are a close family. Uh, and it, it it was a really sad time, and, and she died not long after her diagnosis. And I vividly remember her funeral. In fact, actually, Tim's dad gave the talk at her funeral. And for all the things that were said during her funeral, the thing I remember more than anything were the Bible verses that she had chosen to be read at her funeral. It was Psalm 139, her, her favorite Bible verses. And I remember I was 16, as I said at the time, I wasn't particularly interested in the Bible at that time, but, but as those verses were read out at that funeral, and it was the first time that I remember, that I recall hearing the words of Psalm 139, it was like the words of that Psalm, they were written just for me. Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had that experience where, where the, 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 you're hearing the word of God like read directly out of scripture or you're reading it for yourself and it's like God meets you powerfully in that moment and it's like God is, God is wanting to speak directly to you. That's what it felt like for me in that moment. Like God was speaking to me through the words of what, Psalm 139. And at the time, I was right in the middle of my teenage years, and I was battling with deep insecurity about the way that I looked. Actually, if I think back to that time, I, I actually hated my physical appearance. And Psalm 139, if you're unfamiliar with it, it speaks of a God who formed us, like created us, crafted us in our mother's womb. It speaks of a God who says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And those words read that day at my grandma's funeral, that they so profoundly spoke to my soul in that moment. I remember I went home, I got on my dad's computer, I printed off the words of Psalm 139 and I stuck them up on my bedroom wall. And those words, they became like the antidote to some of the bad thoughts that were like swirling around my head at that time. 
ah, I think I just woke a baby up. I'm so sorry. You know, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even though the words of Psalm 139 were like a, a gift to me, actually, it, it has taken years and years for me to find any lasting freedom from some of those dark thoughts that I have felt about the shame of my physical appearance. And it's irrational. It, it, it goes very deep. And yes, over the years, I've been following Jesus for a couple of decades now. And yes, there have been many moments of breakthrough as I've invited the Holy Spirit to come and speak truth right into my heart, in, into my life. There have been moments of breakthrough. But the thing, the thing was, I was never fully sure that I would ever be totally free from those negative thoughts, that, that they would ever fully exit my brain. You know, because one day I'd feel free, I'd feel at peace, and the next day I would be back in food control. That's often how those self-loathing feelings manifested for me. I'd be back in food control, I'd, I'd be back in hateful thoughts spinning around my mind again. And I was desperate to be free. I was desperate to be free. I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror and not feel this self-judgment come over me, not feel the sense of disappointment. Now your story might be different from mine, it probably is. But I wonder if there are areas in your life that you are longing to find more freedom in. Areas of your life that might be just between you and God, like only he knows that actually your secret prayer to God is God, I just wanna get free in this particular area. Maybe it's thought patterns. Maybe it's like disproportionate emotional responses to things. Maybe it's addictive behaviors. And it's important to sort of name at this point that, that there is a tension. We, we live in a tension here because so often the roots of these things are complicated. Human beings are complicated. We, we come with a whole, a whole load of baggage from our past. Some we've chosen, some not of our choosing. And you know, healing and transformation, it requires persistent intervention, prayer. It requires prayer, lots and lots and lots of prayer, but, but also sometimes it needs professional intervention, like, like the, the God-given wisdom or expertise or someone who can help us go back and identify where the roots come from. I, I needed that. I needed a counselor to help me understand why I felt the way that I did, where it was coming from. But there's another tension as well as we explore this theme. The other tension is that we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world and we are promised, and I'm holding on for this, we are promised, and this day will come, we are promised a glorious future with Jesus. We're promised it in the Bible. We are promised a day where we will know and experience perfect freedom. We will, it's coming. Everyone who says yes to Jesus, everyone who puts their trust and their hope in Him, that day is coming. But for now, this side of heaven, we live in this tension. We, we believe in a gastro, we believe this passionately. We believe that God can and that he does inter intervene today. We believe that God can and does bring radical and lasting transformation into people's lives. We've seen him, I've seen him do that. But if we're honest, 
It also feels that at times as followers of Jesus, there are certain aspects of our brokenness that it feels like we just have to live with for like a very, very long time without seemingly much breakthrough. Anyone resonate with that? Does that mean that we give up? Does that, we, does that mean we just, we just resign ourselves? We, we just stop pursuing the freedom that God promises? No, of course we don't. But, but here's what I've discovered, even in the tension. Here's what I've discovered in my own desire, my own longings for freedom. And I wonder if, for some of us in the room, for many of us in the room, this will be like a key. It will be like a key to the liberation that we've been missing. And, and this key, I believe, is found in the gift of repentance. I realize now that actually I had a pretty narrow view of repentance. And yes, and, and yet the clues are there all through scripture. You open up the Bible and the command that we read over and over again is repent. I mean, Jesus says it over and over and over again. Repent, repent. And I think there are two common misunderstandings about repentance that I want us to just look at for a moment. Number one, one of the, the common misunderstandings about repentance is that it's a one-time thing. You know, it happens at that moment when we first decide to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you may remember, you may remember vividly, I do, the moment that I said yes to Jesus. I said, I wanna follow you, Jesus. I wanna put my trust in you. I wanna go your way. I wanna do my life your way. And when we do that, when we come to Jesus for the very first time, we're aware of all that's wrong in our lives, all the mess, all the sin, and we bring it to him trusting and knowing that because Jesus died on the cross, that, that blood that he shed on the cross, it, it was powerful enough to wash away, to wipe away all the sin and all the mess. And we trust that as we repent, as we bring that to him, that he is longing to forgive. He is longing to wipe the slate clean. And it is the most amazing moment. You remember that moment? You said yes to Jesus and you felt the full force of his forgiveness. You felt the full force of his unconditional love. I say full force, but of course it's just a glimmer. It's just a glimpse of what we know we will experience. But you know, our need for repentance doesn't stop at the moment that we say yes to Jesus for the first time. It doesn't stop there. Martin Luther famously said this, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, I think the words are gonna pop up on the screen. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Our whole lives should be repentance. And that leads to the second misconception. That, that repentance, the, the second misunderstanding about repentance is that repentance is only about saying sorry for the bad things that we do. I wonder if, you know, we think of it a little bit like my, my baby daughter's shoes. Again, a picture is just gonna pop up, there, there they are. Any, anyone that has children here will know that children, they do this really annoying thing. Children, they do this really, really annoying thing. And the really annoying thing that they do is called growing. It's, it's so irritating, particularly if you have a lot of children, because I feel like I am constantly buying new shoes. 
And so here's our little daughter, Summer. And this photo is taken approximately three and a half minutes after she put on her brand new shoes. It's like I put them on her feet and she knew. She knew. She looked at me. She looked at the shoes and she sprinted to the nearest pile of mud that she could find and just glared back at me like, try and stop me, mum. And I wonder if our lives are like a, a little bit like that. You know, we, we get our feet dirty. We, we get our feet muddy. And on any given day, honestly, you know, we, we might lie. We might treat someone unkindly. We might judge. We might gossip. We, we might act selfishly. We, we might be greedy. And that's just Tim this morning, honestly. <laughs> Muller, not Hughes, actually, I should say. <laughs> you know, our feet get dirty. Our feet get dirty from life, from the choices that we make. You know, John 13, 10, Jesus says this to his disciples. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And it's right that, that when we make mistakes, like Tim did, you know, we, we, bring, we bring those things to God. We bring those things, you know, we keep a short account with God. We bring them daily, moment by moment, if need be. Uh, and that we repent, we say sorry, and we ask him to, to wash our feet again. To wash our feet again, or wash the muck off with the power of his forgiveness. But the danger is that we limit repentance to that. We limit our understanding of repentance because we think that repentance is primarily about breaking the rules. We think that repentance is primarily about breaking the rules. And if that is our only understanding of repentance, then we are missing out on the full glorious picture. Because the essence of repentance is not about breaking the rules. Because the essence of sin is not about merely breaking the rules. The essence of sin is much deeper than that. It's much deeper, but it's much more subtle because the essence of sin is when we substitute something else in our lives for God. The essence of sin is when we put something else in the place in our lives that only God should take. It's when we put something else on the throne of our lives when it should only be Jesus who takes that place. And so the essence of sin is making some other thing, some other thing in our life, our Lord and our Savior. You know, the Bible calls it often idolatry. Because idolatry is about worship. We've been worshiping here together. And whatever you put on the throne of your life is the thing that you will end up worshiping. And whatever we worship is the thing that we put our trust and our security in. And, and if we put our hope and our trust and our security in anything other than Jesus, then it does not go well for the human heart. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. You see, breaking the rules, that is just the symptom. It's just the symptom of this disease that is called sin. And the disease of sin is, is looking to something else, even good things, even good things, but it's looking to anything else 
instead of Jesus for our source of joy, for our source of peace, for our source of hope, for our, our source of purpose, for our source of identity. Maybe, maybe we do this with our, our career or, or, or our finances or, or with our partner or with our talents or with our looks, anything else, even good things that we put on the throne of our lives in place of God. And I think we do this all the time. I know I do. We do this all the time and I think for many of us, we don't even know that we're doing it. And the problem is that it is robbing us of the freedom that we are desperately longing for, the freedom that Jesus died for. Tim Keller, who is a, a preacher, a church pastor in America, he, he writes this. Repentance is not so much for doing bad things as for over-trusting good things. And so if, if the essence of sin is placing our trust and our security in something other than Jesus, then do you see that, that the essence, therefore, of repentance, sincere repentance, is to lay those things down, is to resist the temptation to do that. It, it, it's to take them off the throne. It's to tear down the idols. It's to be aware of the things that we put on the throne of our lives with not even being aware that we do it. It's waking up to that reality. It's to put all of our trust in Him, to become fully reliant, fully dependent on Jesus, to make Him our Savior, our Lord, and nothing else. And it kind of sounds simple, but the, the problem is we don't just limit what we think repentance is for, we also resist it. We resist it too. I read this, this novel, this secular novel over the summer, and um, I'm not gonna tell you the title because actually it's quite fruity, and I would hate for you to judge me when you discover what it was. As your pastor, I'm not recommending it as a, as a book. But I did happen to read it. It, it was like a research thing. And, um, and, you know, actually what I discovered, because it was a research thing, even, even within this, like, overtly secular novel, there was, some, there was some quite powerful insights about Christian faith uh, within the dialogue between the two main characters. And uh, there's this moment where one of the main characters, Alice, uh, she starts talking about that moment in the Gospels where Mary, do you remember the moment in the Gospels where Mary washes Jesus' feet with her hair? And it's this stunning moment of worship, of adoration, of, of forgiveness, of redemption. And the main character, she says this, but Jesus, characteristically puzzling, simply says to, all, says to her, all her sins are forgiven because she loves him so much. Could it be that easy we just have to weep and prostrate ourselves and God forgives everything. But maybe it's not that easy at all. Maybe to weep and prostrate ourselves with genuine sincerity is the hardest thing we could ever learn to do. I feel certain that I don't understand how to do it. I have resistance in me, that hard little kernel of something which I fear would not let me prostrate myself before God even if I believed in him. Why do we resist repentance? Why do we resist coming before God and, 
and tearing down some of the things that we've put on the throne in his place. Pride and shame. Pride and shame. Two sides, actually, of the same coin. We resist temptation. Sorry, we resist not temptation. We resist repentance because pride will tell us uh, you don't need it and shame will tell us you don't deserve it. Pride will say you don't need it. You don't need repentance. Shame will say you don't deserve repentance. Pride will say you're doing really well on your own. You don't need God. You certainly don't need God to forgive you. I mean, you, you haven't really done anything wrong. You haven't done anything that needs his forgiveness. I mean, compared to other people, you're doing really well. You should be the center of your universe. The world should revolve around you. Everything good in your life, you've achieved on your own. You've made it happen. It's safe for ju just to rely on your own ability to deal with any crisis, any, any problem or issue that might come your way. But you know, beneath the surface, pride is utterly terrified to admit that there is any need for repentance. It cannot face, it, it cannot see the flaws that are within us all. Pride doesn't take criticism very well. Pride is easily defensive. Pride is quick to judge other people. Because if pride is allowed any room for failure, then pride almost immediately becomes shame. And shame will say, there is too much sin, too much mess in your life for God to ever forgive you. You're a mess. You're too much. Repentance is pointless for you because you just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. You've messed things up too much. You've gone too far. Repentance is futile. It's futile. You just keep on running. You just keep on hiding. You just keep on burying your mess, self-medicating your mess, distracting yourself from it. But here's the good news. Here is the gospel message. You are, I am more flawed and more screwed up and broken than I would ever really want to admit to myself. But at the same time, I, you, am more cherished, more loved, more forgiven, more surrounded by his presence than your heart would ever dare let you believe. You know, we might say, if I'm really that loved, then I can't be that bad, pride. Or if I'm really that bad, then I can't be loved, shame. You know, we think repentance is to sort of temporarily appease, appease this angry God that is just so fed up with us just screwing it up over and over again. But that is not the heart of repentance because repentance is God's gift to us because the gift of true repentance, it, it leads us. It leads us to this sweet spot. It leads us to this place of freedom, this wide open space 
Freedom from pride and, and all the striving and all the pretending that comes with it. Freedom from shame and all the self-loathing and all the hiding that comes with that. Repentance leads us to this beautiful place uh, where God, where God, where we can be open with God. We can openly acknowledge before God the very depths of our sin and our, and our idolatry. But because we have tasted, we know we have tasted and experienced not just the depths, but the heights and the breadths of God's love and His mercy and His goodness towards us. It's an amazing place to live. Free from pride, free from shame, right in the middle of His grace. Right in the middle of His grace. Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance. Do you see repentance? It is the kindness of God to lead us into freedom. I want to end with this. Maybe the band can come up. You know, when I first, when I first um, heard those words from Psalm 139, I found so much comfort and healing in, in those words. Specifically, you know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I even got a tattoo that says Psalm 139 on my ankle just, just to remind me every day that's what God says about me. But you know, real breakthrough came not, not specifically from those verses, but actually more pertinently from the very first verse in Psalm 139. Because the very first verse written by King David of Psalm 139 says this, you have searched me and you know me. You have searched me and you know me. And for me, that place of freedom, I've experienced it when I've allowed God to search my heart to really search my heart, to search beyond the self-sufficiency of my pride, to search beyond, beyond the defenses of my shame, to bring me out through the gift of repentance into this wide open space. It says, I've brought before him all the ways that I have removed him from the throne in my life and put something else on there in his place. All the ways that I have desired other things more than him. All, all the ways that I've put my trust and my security. All the ways that I've tried to fill that deepest longing inside me with something other than him. And I can allow him now to search my heart, knowing that my heart is so much better off when he is on the throne and him alone, and him alone. Knowing that he is longing to pour out his grace and his mercy, that's why I can say search my heart, God. Search my heart, because I know his response will always be love. It will always be grace. And so here's how I pray. When I repent, here's what I say. I say, Lord, I repent of the way I've, I've made looking a certain way, my God. I say, Lord, I, I repent of the way that I have made an idol of being a certain weight or a certain size. I say, Lord, I, I repent of the way that I have colluded with the world around the way the world places value on, on physical appearance. 
I say, Lord, I repent of my desire for people to approve of me. Lord, I repent of my desire for people to see me as successful or, or to have it all together. I repent, I lay it down, I lay it down, I lay it down. I tear down the idols of perfectionism. I tear the idol, down the idols of success, I tear them down. I tear them down, Lord. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of reorientation. That, that's at the heart of this word repentance, is to reorientate our heart back to Him, to Him. And you know, when, when we have the courage to bring our prayer of repentance to Jesus and to keep acknowledging where the orientation of our heart has maybe got a little bit off kilter, there is a spiritual dynamic at work. When we pray these simple prayers of repentance, this isn't just wishful thinking. These aren't the prayers of sort of uh, religious obligation. No, there is a spiritual dynamic at play. Because when we bring these things to God, there is a power at work, power to break the chains of shame, break the chains of pride, and to lead us into that place of freedom honest prayers of repentance that lead us out of the prison, out of the prison, what's imprisoning you and into, into freedom. Psalm 139, you have searched me and you know me. That's the power of the gospel right there. God, you, you know everything about me, you've searched me, you know everything about me. And yet you, God, holy God, holy God, you, you choose to know me. Why don't we stand? We're gonna to pray together. There was a sense this morning at Gastric St. Luke's that God today wants to break the chains of shame, particularly. And you know, as I said, you know, that, that caveat at the beginning, the tension. For some of us, this is a long journey. I mean, I believe for sort of instantaneous radical transformation, I, I believe for that. But actually for some of us, this moment will be like day one, you know, ground zero. And we start building from here. And my sense is that the Holy Spirit, it's like a, it's like a light bulb going on. That actually you've been looking for this, this freedom, you've been seeking after it. And it's like the Holy Spirit wants to give you this tool, here you go a tool that you didn't even know was available to you and it's the gift, it's the gift of repentance. And it will bring, it will unlock transformation and freedom in your life. So we're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would come and we're gonna create opportunity to, to respond. And of course, response, to respond also requires that we drop our pride. We have to leave our pride at the door. So come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. Fill us again. Come Holy Spirit, bring revelation. Come Holy Spirit. And it might be as we're in this time of response that the Holy Spirit just to, brings to, um, just begins to call to mind things that you need to lay down. 
We just need to be aware here as well that the enemy will want to bring condemnation. Condemnation that just produces shame, that that's not the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. It's like, as he does it, you wanna step towards God. Shame will, will make you wanna step away from him. And so come Holy Spirit, begin to speak. You know, one of the ways that we can, we can work out what, what have we put on the throne in His, his place, it, it's fear. What are you most afraid of? What, what are you most afraid that God might take away? That's the thing on the throne. Like God, don't, don't, don't take my job away. Don't, don't take my kids away. Don't, don't take my health away. Don't take my money away. What's the thing? Where's the fear? You track back, that's what's on the throne and we lay it down. You lay it down, lay it down. It, it doesn't work when anything other than Him is on the seat of the throne of your life. Lay it down, there's freedom. There's freedom to be found. Come Holy Spirit, call to mind anything. And the prayer is simple, I repent Lord. I repent, I, I tear it down Lord. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're just gonna wait, allow you to respond in your own way. create an opportunity for sort of a like a like a physical response sometimes this is helpful because it it creates sort of a memory in our minds or it, it it allows us to take a posture that is symbolic of something that we we want to happen in our hearts and so if you want to I just want to invite you just to, to come you might want to stand, you might want to kneel. No one's going to ask you any probing questions, but it might be that in doing this, it's a way of saying, I repent, I surrender. I want to, I want to put you first again. If you want to use this as an opportunity to do that, do it. Take the moment now, push your way out of the, out of the rows, no obligation, but it might be for you that it's a helpful way of just hitting that reset button to you Lord I come to you with a repentant heart I want to reorientate my heart towards you again it might be that you know just as people are coming out and responding it might be that you know you're, you're caught in like chains of shame it's like shame has become such a an audible voice in your head and you want to break free it might be there are other chains in your life that you know are keeping you captive and you're hungry for freedom. Again, why don't you just begin to come forward? No, no one's gonna ask, ask you questions that you don't wanna give the answers to. This is, this is a moment between you and God. So again, if you wanna use this moment to respond, why don't you just begin to come forward? I'm gonna invite the band just to, to lead us in a song and let's just keep this a quiet place for a few more moments. I'd encourage you just take this time 
to have a conversation with God. Come out, stay where you are, but don't miss this opportunity to have a conversation with God and to allow the Holy Spirit to minister. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church. Church.